Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Richard Sella. He is a retirement planning expert. Uh, he is the author of a book called Your Personal Retirement Machine, A Guide to Freedom. He is also uh, the uh, one of the founding partners at Ipswich uh, Financial, and their website is ipswichfinancial.com. Welcome to the show, Richard. Oh, thank you, Jordan. It's a pleasure to be here. Just tell us a little bit about your background. I gave you a little bit, but just kind of give me a little bit of your history and, and your credentials. Sure. I, you know, I started investing as a teenager and always wanted to be in the investment world. And I started uh, my career in 1983 uh, with, uh, with John Hancock, believe it or not. Um, and uh, shortly thereafter, I got involved with the 401k plan and in the 80s when uh, that became so popular. And so ever since then, it's been, you know, 401k plans and investment management that I've been focusing my attention on. Tell us a little bit about your clientele. What kind of clients do you have for your wealth management firm? Mostly, we, are, we specialize in working with business owner clients because we have a unique um, combination of services where we have the expertise in 401ks and ERISA law, as well as the uh, wealth management and investment management expertise as registered investment advisors. We are uh, focused on our registered investment advisory approach. That's where we focus our, our attention in terms of providing fee-based work, uh, unbiased investment advice, uh, results-oriented um, uh, investment programs, and our compensation is based on how well our clients do as opposed to a product or a service. Um, in particular, business owners work well with us, and we work well with them because we understand their needs as a business owner and what it's and, and, and understanding that their retirement plan is where a very substantial portion of their wealth may reside. And so being able to advise them on both their qualified plan through their corporations as well as their personal financial planning is a valuable uh, combination for them. What are some of the resources people can find out at ipswitchfinancial.com? Ipswitchfinancial.com is where you'll find everything about our services. We have three different areas we specialize in, uh, 401K and qualified retirement plans, some samples of um, the work that we do, some of the things that people need to be aware of if they're considering considering a qualified plan, uh, our personal wealth uh, uh, information, our division there will indicate some of our philosophies, our commitments that we make to clients, and the approach that we take when working with clients. We also have a partner who specializes in, in human resources and benefits, and so there's some information about his services there as well. Very good. Let's some take a front of a broad look at the retirement situation now. As the baby boomers are now entering retirement uh, day after day, more and more of them, are people pretty well set up for retirement, have saved enough or, or not? What is the kind of overall situation in America today? Actually, it's pretty bad. The, uh, the, the reality is that the average um, retirement account balance for people age 56 to 61, these are baby boomers approaching retirement, is somewhere in the area of 163,000. That's the the mean. Whereas the median 
um, if you simply lined up everyone, including those who have zero and you went from top to bottom, the median is only approximately 35,000. And what that means is that essentially there is a group of people in the baby boomer generation who have saved money. Approximately the top one-third of baby boomers have saved substantial capital. Even though the average there is still low, um, they have saved money and done well. Approximately two-thirds of the baby boomer generation, however, are drastically underfunded, as in less than $100,000 of assets by age 56 to 61. So what's going to happen to those people when they do enter retirement and don't have a job income anymore? Well, they're going to be in trouble. I think the reality is that our, our entitlements, such as Social Security and Medicare, are struggling so much that benefits are going to be reduced one way or the other. Uh, we won't see cost of living increases. We won't see, um, we'll see higher ages for maximum benefits. Uh, we may not see as much of a benefit in our Medicare health uh, plans. So benefits are going to be reduced. Um, the cost of living continues to go up, um, and people's ability to work beyond age 70 um, you know, will we'll come into question. And the cost of health care uh, is rising so dramatically that if you fail to consider that in your financial planning, um, it adds to the distress those people will face financially. Um, simply put, uh, you need a million dollars in order to generate a $50,000 a year income. And um, I think you need that as a baseline in addition to your Social Security benefits in order to cover the costs necessary to have a reasonable lifestyle. So you're saying the vast majority of people don't even have close to a million dollars. So if somebody's in that circumstance, say they're in their mid to late 50s, early 60s, approaching retirement, are there things you can do to help them, or is it too late? No, it isn't too late, and I think the sooner you address the issue, the better. The bottom line is, uh, you know, one of the things I'll tell someone, if, uh, if they come to see me and they're drastically underfunded, and I'll give you an example. Let's say someone comes into the office and they say, well, you know, I make um, $80,000 a year, and I've got, you know, $75,000 saved in my retirement. Uh, my retirement plans. I would tell them what they need to do is they need to take a cut in pay today because ultimately they're going to take a drastic cut in pay when they stop working. Now, if they're willing to take a cut in pay today and take that money and set it aside for the future, they won't have to take such a drastic cut in pay when it's too late. Um, it's not easy. Uh, when I When I conduct education seminars, I tell people, you need to start out with a minimum of 10% of your pay going into a retirement plan. Those numbers aren't easy to swallow for a lot of people. I understand that. Uh, but the bottom line, this is math. This isn't my opinion. And it's reality. And, and the problem is, is that when you get to that point in life, you don't have a recourse. And for some people, if they have ill health, they can't work, even if they want to. And so, so how do people in, react when you when the, you give them that advice, Richard, that you have to save more, ten percent, cut your take-home pay? How do people react to that? You know, I, I think people realize that 
it's true, and therefore acknowledge the fact that it's a difficult challenge to provide for one's own retirement, but they realize it's the truth. And what they'll do if they're given the opportunity, and if it's framed properly, and this is what the book is about, framing this situation properly, they understand that there are ways you can be successful in spite of these challenging facts. Now, if someone is 50 or 55 and they fail to save properly, that's disconcerting, but it doesn't mean you give up. It just means you've got to get down to brass tacks as fast as possible and find the best course of action to accomplish uh, your financial needs as best as possible. If someone is young enough that, you know, I say to them, okay, you're 30 years old, and you should be looking at your compensation as two parts. One part, what you can spend, and the other part, what you need to save. And if it's 10% that has to go into savings, and we call that savings compensation in the book, that's what you've got to do first. You set that aside. And so if you make, you know, $60,000 as a salary, then $54,000 is how much you can spend, plus your taxes on that, and $6,000 has to go to be put away for your future. Just paying and yourself first, you're basically saying. Paying yourself first. And the thing that I try to bring out, and, and here's where, you know, I think the book helps. The, the first thing is this should be a positive thought process, not a negative one. It's most important that people realize that when I recommend they save money for the future, I'm not asking them to give up the money. I'm not asking them to lose it. I'm asking them to put it to work for them, for themselves and their family in the future. And ultimately, once they begin to do that, even if they don't begin to put in the 10% or whatever percentage we determine is the right percent for them. Just getting in the game is a positive step. Seeing those statements where your money is growing brings more positive aspects to this whole process and incentivizes people to put more money away. I mean, if you got a statement and your investments were doing well, and you were kind of happy that you had a good chunk of money in the bank, your first reaction might be to put more away because you want more of that good feeling. So, so it's a psychological thing you're saying as well. It's, it's kind of positive reinforcement helps people do the right thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if people, even for people who are in the baby boomer generation, let's say, back to that group age 56 to 61, who, you know, on average are grossly underfunded, Look at where we're going over the next decade and look at where, you know, have a, have a vision of where you want to be and understand what it takes to get there. And, and if you do that and you set those goals, then putting the money aside and making the sacrifices now isn't as difficult because you know what you're going to, you know, what you're in for 10 years, eight years down the road. But if you actually get to that point, say you're 65 or 70, you are dr drastically undersaved, as you put it. 
what's going to happen to those people? Are they going to move back in with their kids? Are they going to lose their homes? What's going to happen to, as you say, millions of people who are in that circumstance? Well, you know, those people, unfortunately, will do things like reverse mortgage their home. Um, They'll try to work as long as they can. They may end up moving in with their kids. They may end up being forced to live in an in-law apartment in their son or daughter's home. You know, they may not be able to travel. They may not be able to do the things that they've always wanted to do. And that's sad. Uh, It's disappointing. Okay, well, we're going to get to some specific ways people can avoid that situation. We're going to take a break. Uh, My guest this hour is Richard Sella. Uh, He is the author of a new book called My Personal, Your Personal Investment Machine, A Guide to Financial Freedom. Uh, He is at uh, Ipswich Financial Advisors, and his website is ipswichfinancial.com. We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Richard Chella. He is the founding partner at Ipswich Bay Advisors, based in Massachusetts. Their website, ipswichfinancial.com, and his book is called Your Personal Retirement Machine. Welcome back to the show, Richard. Thanks, Jordan. Thanks. So you have what you call the four pillars of financial planning. Let's just go through what, what are those four pillars. Well, the four pillars uh, I see are uh, obtaining a home, you know, making your first uh, uh, real estate acquisition, um, continuing education, college education planning for either yourself or your family, retirement planning, planning for your retirement income needs, 
and estate planning, planning for your transfer of your assets at death. So let's just take them one at a time. So what are some tips you would have on buying a home and the things that people do right and do wrong about when they're buying a home? Well, the first thing is I'm, I'm certainly a believer in owning a home. It's, a, it's an efficient way of, you know, spending money to live and putting a roof over your head. But it's very important that people understand that your, your residence is not an investment. And I say this because, first of all, um, I can illustrate why it's not an investment. Uh, most people, when they, when they think about, well, I bought a house and I paid you know, $200,000 uh, know, 20 years ago and I sold it for $500,000 today, think that they made $300,000. Well, the reality is they probably didn't make anything because for 20 years they paid property taxes, they paid interest, they upkept the home, they repaired the home, um, and when you add up all these things, you might find that you lost money. So a home, while being a great thing to have and probably a cost-effective way of living, is not a true investment. Now, this is important because people tend to overextend themselves when buying a home or putting money into the home. And so what is the maximum? What, what should people do this so that they don't overextend themselves? What kind of down payment and what kind of mortgage should they have so they don't overextend themselves? Well, they should obviously have the liquid funds to make the down payment of about 25%. Most some banks will allow you to do 20. I'd like to do 25% as a down payment on any piece of real estate or more. And their mortgage payments should not exceed 25 to 30% of their gross income. So a lot of people aren't are going to be able to make that just because the price of homes and mortgage rates these days. So if they're not able to do that, you're saying it's better to rent than stretch themselves to buy. Is that what you're saying? My suggestion is rent a little longer, save more money for your down payment, give your income a chance to grow, and then buy a home. And the point I make in the book is that if you bought a home when you're 30, or if you bought a home or didn't buy a home until you were 35, that delay of time doesn't necessarily cost you anything in your long-term financial stature. In fact, you may save money. So home, a residence is a quality of life issue. And what's, what's effective and efficient about owning a home is that most of the money you put into that home, most, you get back in equity when you sell it. Now, some would say that the new tax bill that's going through, just assume for the moment it does go through, as it could change, but just assume it goes through. Some would say that's going to take away a lot of the value of home ownership by not having state and local interest deductions anymore, capping property taxes at $10,000, uh, higher standard deductions, so a lot of people wouldn't get the mortgage interest deduction. Do you think that will have a major impact on home ownership? I think, it's, I think that's a terrible thing for the government to do and to take away from people. I absolutely think it has a negative impact on home ownership. I think it hurts, potentially hurts value uh, in, in the real estate market. Um, so it does. It makes it that much more difficult uh, for a person to buy a home. And it also makes it that much more important not to overextend yourself in terms of debt. Debt can be very costly and very detrimental to your ability to save. And you're saying if those changes go through, it would make it more expensive and in a certain way more risky to buy a home if you're not getting the benefits of tax deductions, everything we just talked about. 
Well, it makes it more expensive, and it gives all the more reason to look closely at how much you've saved and how well you're prepared to buy that home and or to avoid overspending on a home. And the second pillar is education. So what do people do right and wrong about sending their kids to college and, and going to debt to do so? Well, the most important thing to remember is that while it is important to save for your children's education, and it's important to start very early, that retirement planning is, or super, should say, I should say, supersedes education planning in order of importance. And the reason for that is that if you don't have enough money to save for your children's education, but you are saving for your retirement, you'll be okay. Your children will be able to borrow money. You'll be able to borrow money uh, for them or possibly even get financial aid. But if you don't save enough money for your retirement, you won't have a recourse. Um, the other element of uh, education planning is critically important to start very, very early. The, the uh, saving for a children's education uh, has certain advantages if you're dedicated to it. And one of the things you can do, not only starting early, but using the college education 529 plans to get the tax advantage savings and tax-exempt uh, distributions for educational costs. So you're saying a lot of parents that take loans against their 401ks and loans against their home equity through HELOCs uh, spend their retirement savings to avoid college debt are doing the wrong thing. Um, I would say taking money out of your 401k to borrow that to pay for children's education is a big mistake. Using home equity to help pay for college education may not be, may be fine. So long as you have sufficient funds saved for your retirement in your retirement plans. So as, as long as you're on target with your 401k or 403b plan savings, Borrowing money against your home uh, to help your children with college education is perfectly fine. Um, there, again, is another great thing about owning a home, provided you didn't overextend yourself on debt. You've, you've paid down your debt. You've you put a substantial down payment. You, 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 you have equity in the home that you can now access on a, on a favorable basis. Now, one of your other plan, uh, pillars is estate planning. Now, some would say you don't really need to do that because the state taxes only hit the very, very wealthy, and they may be wiped away altogether with a new law. Why is estate planning necessary for the average person who's not going to have estate taxes? Estate planning is more about or as much about organizing your affairs and taking care of your family after you're gone as it is about estate tax issues. So first... Uh, yes, it's true that you, there may not be a, a, an estate tax or there may not be an estate tax unless you have more than 10 or $11 million, but you have two issues here. First of all, you have state death taxes in many states, and that can be pretty expensive. You also have probate court and legal costs to settle an estate, if, especially if that estate is not well uh, established and well-organized, those costs can be substantial, and the delays uh, for your family in receiving your assets can be lengthy. So I advise my clients that estate planning is important 
out of the care and concern for your family, making sure that your family is able to use and access these assets the way you would want them to, making sure that they're protected against the claims of creditors or divorce, or if you have a special needs child, that that, that money is set aside in a way that it's protected. Make sure that it's that any estate tax, whether it's state death taxes or otherwise, is minimized. But also keep in mind that if you have money that you're leaving for your family, you want to avoid any type of family infighting or debates or arguments over your resources. That's, that's part of family planning. It should be an organized uh, a program that allows your family to move forward and have a clear understanding of what your intentions were. And avoid a lot of fights, yes. Now, the second chapter in your book is about the family business. You're saying that's a really good way for people to build up wealth all the time. What, what are the right steps in, in creating a, a successful family business? This is one of the key concepts of the book. The idea of saving for your future and how you manage your finances uh, as a family um, is, is, is as fundamental as any element of retirement planning. And I, and I ask people to look at their family finances as if it was a business because a business would never spend more than it makes. A business would, would theoretically at least in, in, in most cases, by design, take some of its profits and put them aside for the future of the business. Buying new equipment, investing in research and development, um, things of that nature. And, you know, other growth of the business strategies, whether it's real estate or other things to build the business. So treating your family finances like a business forces you to look at your income and look at it as if it were gross revenue, just like a business would look at its revenue, and look at the amount of money you have to spend every month for necessities, car, food, clothing, housing, and consider the balance that's left after that your gross profit. Now, you want to save some of that profit for the future. You want to be able to spend some of it, maybe. Maybe you take some money to provide bonuses for your employees. Maybe you provide uh, benefits for your employees, such as vacation time. But a business would never knowingly and deliberately overspend the revenue it took in. And it would always strive to have retained earnings for future reinvestment in the business. And so that fundamental approach makes it very clear and logical as to why it's important for an individual to take some of the income they have and consider that savings compensation and set it aside before you go and spend the rest of it. That's a very good idea. We're going to take another break. Uh, This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. Uh, My guest this hour is Richard Chella. Uh, He is the founding partner at Ipswich Bay Advisors in Massachusetts. His website is ipswichfinancial.com, and his book is called Your Personal Retirement Machine. We'll be back after this. (music) 
stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790, 866-472-5790, Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Richard Chella. He is founding partner at Ipswich Bay Advisors in Massachusetts. His book is called Your Personal Retirement Machine, and his website is ipswichfinancial.com. Welcome back to the show, Richard. Thank you, Jordan. So you're saying to set up your family kind of like a company and that you should see yourself as a money-making machine. What do you mean by that, and how do you implement that? Wow, very, very good uh, question. So let's, let's pretend that your job, okay, your, your career was based on a business, where you had a machine in your basement that printed money. And let's just say, for the sake of example, you had all the licenses, it's perfectly legal. You have a machine that prints money. And every day you get up, you have your coffee, then you go downstairs and you print your money. Now, if that was the, the case, and you were so fortunate to have that as a business, would it not be true that you would take some of that money that you print with your money-making machine and put it aside to repair the machine or buy a new machine? Because if you think of yourself as a money-making machine, and you are, if, if you really look at that, you have to know that one day, just like any other machine, whether it's a car or a phone or any other widget-making machine out there, one day that machine just doesn't work anymore. And you can repair it, You'll need money to do that, but eventually, it simply ceases to function. You have to invest in it, you're saying, basically. Exactly. But if you owned one of these machines, would you not take some of the money that it's printing and put it aside to buy a new machine for the day that that machine no longer works? And you're saying a lot of people just spend all the money that comes out of that machine, basically, and don't put anything aside for the future. Exactly. You talk about the cost of procrastination is far greater than the price of sacrifice. What do you mean by that? Well, sacrifice is important. 
I mean, when I was growing up, my parents talked about sacrifice. That generation went through a lot. Um, they went through the Depression. They knew what sacrifice was about. Sometimes sacrifice is something that we all need to do to prepare for the future. You know, sacrifice sounds like a dirty word. And again, the book, my purpose is to make a positive statement about retirement planning. And so let's define sacrifice. Sacrifice is the intelligence to know the value of allocating resources toward the achievement of a future goal as opposed to expending them for short-term gratification. All sacrifice is is saying, I'm going to take something that I have in my hand today and I'm going to give it to myself in the future. How, how do you do that in a society that kind of values instant gratification? I mean, we do uh, texts and Snapchats and everything that's kind of instant. The idea of delayed gratification is hard for a lot of people, particularly younger people these days. There's no question about it, and that's, that's the challenge. And uh, I think that's where people need to realize that, yes, you know, everybody wants to have a great time and have fun today. Everybody wants to have a nice car today. Everybody wants to have that dream house today. I, I get it. Uh, the bottom line is try to balance that need with your future needs. And if you can balance them, if you can compromise somewhere in the middle and say, I know I've got to set something aside for my future, I can give up a little bit of this instant gratification need in order to prepare and have success and happiness and the ability to go and do the things I've always wanted to do when I retire, travel, whatever it is that you want. It's a worthy, it's a worthy compromise. It's a worthy sacrifice. So you have seven specific rules for successful retirement investing. Let's go into those so that everything we just talked about you know where to put your money, so when it's delayed gratification, it's actually going to be there. Your first rule is to take advantage of Uncle Sam's interest-free loans. So what do you mean by that? Well, one of the great things about qualified retirement plans like 401ks is you get certain tax advantages for participating. The first is you can put money away before it's taxed. So instead of paying the income tax on it, you get to put it in your 401k or 403b, etc., so to put $1,000 away into a 401k may only cost you $700 or $750 out of your take-home pay. So right away, you're putting some of Uncle Sam's money or some money that would ultimately be Uncle Sam's because you have no choice about having it taken out for taxes, putting it to work for you and using that money for a long time. It's like getting an interest-free loan from the government that you don't have to pay back for 20, 30, or 40 years. Is there anyone who wouldn't take that interest-free loan? I haven't met him yet. Well, some, some would argue that by deferring taxes, uh, it's going to grow to a larger amount, and you're going to pay more taxes later than if you paid taxes today. For example, a Roth IRA, which is your second rule, is better because you're putting in after-tax dollars, but when you take it out, you're, you're, you're not being taxed on the, the harvest as opposed to the seed. Kind of think of it that way. Absolutely. And I'm a big believer in Roth, by the way. Uh, the bottom line is, I think people need to do both. People need to use Roth, but you also need to have the money first to be able to worry about whether it's taxed. So 
What you, what you don't want to do is use an excuse of some kind and say, well, I don't want to put my money in pre-tax. I'll have too much taxes later. Then not have, an, have enough money to worry about it anyway. You need to have the money to worry about the taxes. So what I advise people is, first, try to reach the savings goal, let's say it's 10%, that you need to reach, reach. and do that on a tax-favored basis. If it makes it easier for you, to get a tax-deductible contribution in your retirement plan in order to get that 10% put aside, great. That, that tax deduction, that reduction of taxation may make a big difference for you. Over the course of time, transition such that you're putting a certain portion of that 10% into the Roth 401k version. It takes a little bit more out of your take-home pay, but then now you're starting to build that tax-exempt or tax-deferred Roth component, which will ultimately be tax-exempt provided you follow the rules for Roth, okay? And I can get into that if you wish. But, but that's the strategy I advise people. Definitely, you want to have Roth 401k or Roth IRA assets. The more, the better. But you have to have a substantial amount of wealth to begin with before you can worry about the taxation. Your third rule is to invest a percentage of salary, not a flat dollar amount. What is the reason for that? A lot of times people start out by saying they're going to invest a flat dollar amount, and then as their salary changes, most likely going up over time, they don't update their contribution. So imagine if you start out by saying, I'm going to put in 25 bucks a paycheck. Maybe you're getting paid weekly, and it's roughly 100 bucks a month. Well, as your pay goes up, your contribution isn't going up. Keeping in mind that retirement planning is about planning for lifestyle, living the lifestyle that you want to live. As your pay goes up over time, your lifestyle adapts to that. If you're not keeping up with that, with your retirement savings, then you're missing the boat. By putting a percentage of your pay in, you're always going to be contributing consistent with the amount of money necessary to build for your, uh, your financial freedom and your lifestyle in retirement. Your rule number four is to use dollar cost averaging and not stop contributing. How does that work? One of the biggest mistakes people make is to stop contributing when the market goes down. People will say, well, my account, I, put a, I put several hundred dollars in my account last quarter, and I have less money in it than I did the, before, and so I'm going to stop contributing. That is absolutely the worst thing you can do. Warren Buffett says, you make more money when the stock market goes down. You just don't know it yet. And that, that's a very important point to keep in your mind. When the market goes down, that's the best time to be contributing. And it's certainly the worst time to stop contributing. So dollar cost averaging essentially means that you put in a similar amount of money per pay period or per time period over a lengthy period of time. And therefore, when the markets go down, you buy more shares when the markets are up, you're buying fewer shares. Therefore, you're averaging your price per share in the most efficient way. So what happened, for example, in 2008, and the markets were plummeting all the time? Were your clients stopping contributing and complaining to you and wanting to get out? What was the emotional toll taken by a big downturn like that? Many people did. 
But I will say this, not, not, not the majority, because I advise my clients, first, have the proper asset allocation so that you can weather the storm. If you are invested in the right way, with the right balance of investments in your portfolio, you can have the confidence to ride out the bear markets. And that is a point in time where you continue to aggressively contribute into those markets, buying in at lower prices. I can say without a doubt that the people who stayed true and consistent and invested in their retirement monies, I'm sorry, their retirement accounts during that downturn, they recovered, I would say on average, a year faster than the people who discontinued their contributions. And certainly, those people who took all their money out of the market, they may never have recovered. So the people who stayed in their asset allocation model continued to dollar-cost average and buy into the market when it went down, they not only recovered quickly, but they eventually started to make substantial profits and have benefited from one of the best bull markets since that bottom in 2009 that we've had in our history. Your next rule is to diversify and rebalance. So how do you do that differently? I mean, most people think that's obvious, but why is that so important to diversify and rebalance your portfolio? Um, A lot of people understand the importance of diversification, but they may not know if, in fact, they're truly diversified. You would be advised to have a qualified financial advisor help you with your asset allocation. Just because you have three different mutual funds doesn't mean you're diversified. You may have three mutual funds that are doing the same type of investing, and therefore you have a lot of overlap. So it's very important that you have the right asset allocation and the right diversification amongst the styles. The second thing, and this is something that not everyone does understand, is rebalancing. Rebalancing is something that you need to do, and I would recommend on an annual basis. What that does is each year you reallocate your monies back into the exact asset allocation percentages that you determined were appropriate. So let's say you had half your money in stock and half your money in a money market account. And you determined that that was the right asset allocation. And I'm not saying it is or isn't. Let's just use that example. And the stock market goes up 20%. That stock... And let's just say, for the sake of example, you have $100,000. So now, the stock portion of your portfolio went up 20%. That's 50000 growing by 20% has now become 60000 And let's say you had 50% of your money in a money market account. Well, that money didn't grow hardly at all. So now, you have $110,000, and 60000 of that is in stock, and 50000 of it is in the money market. So you no longer have a 50-50 allocation. Okay? So what you need to do in that situation is you need to sell. This is what rebalancing does. Rebalancing would say you sell 5000 of that stock and add it to your money market so that now you have 55000 of stock and 55000 of money market, a 50-50 mix. That's rebalancing, 
and what rebalancing does is you're always selling off some of the best performers, taking some profits, and you're reinvesting that money into the lowest performers or the worst performers, buying low. So essentially, by doing a rebalance, you're taking profits off the top on some of your big profit items, and you're taking that money and investing it into the lowest performers in the portfolio. Over time, it manages risk and gives you greater opportunity to retain earnings. Very good. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Richard Chella. He is the founding partner at Ipswich Bay Advisors in Massachusetts. Uh, his, his website is ipswichfinancial.com, and his book we've been talking about is Your Personal Retirement Machine. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Richard Chella. He is the founding partner at Ipswich Bay Advisors in Massachusetts. His website, ipswichfinancial.com, and his book is called Your Personal Retirement Machine. Welcome back to the show, Richard. Thank you. I'm glad to be back. We were going through the seven uh, rules for successful retirement investing. Number six is to be patient. Uh, you say patience comes to those who wait. This, again, is talking about deferred gratification. Are a lot of people not patient these days? Uh, not, not too many people are patient these days. I think this is uh, particularly here, though, referencing um, the investments. In other words, investments may take time to materialize and do what they're intended to do. One of the things you, you need to avoid is making snap judgments, buying and selling too quickly, you know, buying when things are going up and selling when they've gone down. Um, that's patience. When it comes to investing, you need patience in your strategy. 
And your seventh rule is to never take withdrawals. What's the problem with taking withdrawals? Well, when you're retired, you can take withdrawals. The problem with, with, with a lot of people is they take withdrawals for things like buying a snowmobile. Absolutely a bad idea. Or they take withdrawals because they spent too much money on a credit card and they're in debt and they don't know what else to do. And then they'll take money out of their 401k plan, pay the taxes on it, uh, only to get out of debt. When you take a withdrawal from a 401k or 403b plan and you pay the tax, that's the same thing as paying back an interest-free loan early. And why would you want to incur that tax liability if you don't have to? So now I want to go to the other end. We've been talking about accumulation, but you have a whole chapter on retirement income distribution strategies, and you break things into three buckets, uh, short-term liquidity, income, and long-term investments. How do you know where to take money out of when you need it, when you're living in retirement? How do you kind of make those calculations? Very good question. That's exactly what the bucket strategy is designed to do, and it's critically important for retirees to have such a strategy. The reason this strategy is critically important is because, in fact, it does give you guidance as to where you're drawing your money from, so you know in advance where your income is coming from. That allows you to feel more comfortable allocating money, let's say, in the third bucket, the longest-term bucket, to more growth-oriented investments, such as stocks, because you know you're not going to be tapping into that for a lengthy period of time. Meanwhile, you have your short-term liquidity and income buckets, and that's where you take your income from in the near term and invest in things more income-producing, such as bonds, to continue to sustain, uh, sustain your income over the intermediate term. Meanwhile, allowing your equities in your long-term growth bucket to accumulate and continue to build your wealth. You have several what you call optimal distribution orders of what to take out from where. It's very complicated, but how can people figure out what to take out of when, uh, out of which asset at what time? Well, they need, you need to consider taxation, taxation of Social Security benefits, taxation of potential um, or tax implications relative to Medicare. If your income is over a certain threshold, you pay higher Medicare premiums. Um, so looking in, in, in just raw terms, your overall tax rates. So the first thing you want to focus on is keeping the taxation of Social Security benefits to a minimum. This is where having Roth IRA or Roth 401k assets can be very valuable because Roth distributions are tax-exempt, provided you've had them invested for at least five years. Balancing your Roth distributions with taxable distributions from a 401k or other type of IRA will help you maintain a lower tax bracket, pay a pay tax on a lower percentage of your Social Security, and thus allow you to get more out of the money that you have saved. You have what you call a safe and sound distribution schedule. Is this something the average person could figure it on their own, or they're going to need somebody like you to figure this kind of thing out? I think you need a financial advisor to figure these out. Uh, This is exactly what one of the concepts in the book is. You should have a financial plan. Uh, If you don't have a plan, you're more likely to fail. If you have a financial plan through a qualified financial advisor, you're more likely to succeed. Uh, Financial advisors 
can execute things like a bucket strategy, calculate things like an optimal distribution strategy, most importantly, advise you on taxation of investments and investment accounts overall. And I think that's very, very important to keep in mind. So let's kind of sum up as we come to a close here. What difference will it make in people's lives to follow everything we've talked about as opposed to what they're doing now and the problem we set up at the beginning where a lot of people are getting to retirement not having close to enough saved? I, I think that you, you want to look forward in, in a, in a, with a positive outlook and a positive vision, not, not be scared and uncertain about your future. If you follow these ideas and these rules for success, you'll be certain about your future. You'll have confidence in the success that lies ahead of you as opposed to concern about what might go wrong. So it's all about being positive about what's going on in your life today and where you're going in the future. We have the possibility of major tax reform about to hit here. What implications of that tax reform, as it's currently proposed, would there be on what you're talking about? They're talking about cutting tax rates, getting rid of estate taxes, uh, not having the alternative minimum tax, all kinds of changes. How would that affect the plans making people, people are making today, assuming that goes through? Well, I, I think it doesn't change much about what we've talked about today, Jordan. People need to save money. I still believe you take advantage of the tax savings that these plans afford you, the tax deductibility of some of these contributions, having a balance of the contributions going into Roth. We never know what the tax laws are going to be in the future. It's very, very difficult to plan for an unknown. I always advise my clients, plan based on what we know and be ready to adapt to what comes next. And so you're saying it's not too late for a lot of people who seem on the point of panic, I guess you might say. They're getting there. They haven't saved close enough. You're saying if they take some of your strategies, they can actually have a decent retirement. They can, and they should take action as soon as possible. Very First good. Well, thanks so much. Read the book. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Richard Chella. Uh, he is the founding partner at Ipswich Bay Advisors in Massachusetts. His website, ipswichfinancial.com, and his book we've been talking about is called Your Personal Retirement Machine, A Guide to Financial Freedom. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Richard. Thank you, Jordan. Have a great day. Thank you, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.